0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome on into episode 178 of the Get Around Podcast. My name is Jake Adnib, hanging out in studio with the one and only James Cook. It is just the dangerous duo today. We have another dangerous duo coming in to join us later, though, for our interview. Traverse City West Wyatt Avich, and Traverse City Central's Josh Klug, a pair of Louisville-bound baseball players from the Traverse City area, are going to join us, and the rivals will have a chance to chat with us before they head into baseball districts. So we're going to have a two-on-two interview there. That's going to be really exciting later on in the episode. We have a lot of stuff to go through today with the record eagle John Lober honor roll meet, a couple of the big soccer district games. We had a few really big baseball and softball matchups in the last week or so. This is kind of like the thick of it, James. We're right here where golf playoffs are starting, baseball and softball are starting, we're in the middle of cross, we're in the middle of soccer, track state finals of this weekend. It's just like it's nuts so.
1: Yeah, I think the last two weekends and this weekend coming up are like the three busiest of the year.
0: Yeah, 100% not just like not just like oh since 2021 started, the busiest of the school year. Mm-hmm. And there's no rest for the wicked. <laughs> it, I kind of look pretty wicked right now it was funny, I thought James was going to uh, bring up and go, hey dude, you get into a fist fight this weekend, I walked into the office today, I got bandages all over my face, and both of my eyes are slowly turning black, and my nose is swollen, and it kind of looks like I got into a fight with Jake Paul or something, and you know, I came out on the good side of that, except I didn't sign a multi-million dollar contract to start off with I wish, but uh, I, had to, I had a cyst cut off my face, and like this was just the weirdest thing ever I like it's right. It was right next to my eyeball, not in my eyeball, but like on my cheekbone. And they just do local anesthetic. They keep you awake during this stuff. So I was in there earlier today, and I have this huge bandage on the side of my face. And I was in there today, and you know the guy was trying to talk to me and like distract me while he's doing this work. And it's just really weird where this is because they were cut. They cut open my face, and then he's pulling on the skin and basically like ripping the skin off the side of my face. But the scissors are basically touching my ear, and you could just like hear the skin being cut off my face. and just That's just like straight out of a horror film. So I was kind of traumatized about two hours ago. But talk about just like a living nightmare. I'm, I, you know what actually is a living nightmare? is the bill that they hit me with when I walked out of that place today. That was exciting.
1: And what the hell is insurance for?
0: It's, nothing, it's for nothing. <clears throat> it's for literally for nothing. I paid $130 to go there just to have them two weeks ago just to have them be like, oh, you have to come back in two weeks to get this off. So, I mean, dude, it cost me like $1,000 to get this taken off my face. Cash. Not and including and, whatever insurance is And paid. the
1: reason they wouldn't do it two weeks ago was because of your insurance, but your insurance didn't cover anything.
0: Well, no, no, no. The insurance just has to accept that it's not covered, basically. That's what I'm catching here. Yeah. So. Dumb. Dumb is right. The insurance world. Do I, do I look that bad?
1: No, worse than normal.
0: Are you sure about that? Because I think I look pretty bad.
1: I mean, you just have a bandage on the side of your face. I don't know. understand that.
0: I feel like I'm, like, swollen here. I feel like I got, like, a little bit of, like, a black eye in the middle of both my eyeballs here. I can see that, yeah, in in the inside. Yeah. Of each eyeball, it's getting a little darker. Yeah. He told me it's going to be like that. So, if you don't see me out at games the rest of the week, it, it might just be because I look like complete heck. So, uh I'll be in the office. You'll hear from me on the phone. Don't worry. I didn't get into a fist fight or anything. I swear I'm a nice guy. Might as well just tell you about all the things you can't see while we're sitting in a podcast studio, especially something so just delightfully awesome to listen to about my horror stories. <laughs> so we'll get out of that. We'll, we'll get into the rest of our episode. We have so much more to talk about. Uh, before we do, got to remind you that we are sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's is freaks about fresh meat, bread, and veggies because that means better sandwiches for all. Freaky Fresh, Freaky Fast, Jimmy John's Freak Yeah. We didn't quite preview everything that we have coming in the episode, but you know what? We'll leave it up to the mystery. Let's go ahead and put our finger on the heartbeat of the sports world and get into the pulse. There's a lot of stuff to talk about here. Like we said, this is the busiest couple weeks of sports. And not only the busiest, but the most important couple weeks of the spring season. Uh, Some of the biggest track meets, some of the biggest games in districts were basically... You know, more than half of our local teams are going to be playing each other and, and fighting it out and not eliminating each other from the playoffs. And I have to start off with what, you know, we have to consider the biggest deal here at the Record Eagle, and that was the track meet. That is our namesake, along with John Lober's, the Record Eagle John Lober, honor roll track meet. The biggest and the best, uh, for the best of the best in the area here before state finals. Just happened at Traverse City Central on Tuesday. Pretty sure all of our lovely Audible viewers are pretty familiar with that track meet. It's 47th rendition went off, and, I mean, what a year. All all year long, I think you've heard this from track coaches too. And t- tell me if I'm wrong. I've had at least six or eight different track coaches from different boys and girls teams tell me, wow, like, we're doing so well this year, but we really, really thought that last year was going to be our best year ever, and now they're coming out, and these teams are absolutely destroying competition left and right, breaking records. I mean, have you heard that over and over again?
1: Yeah, just a lot. I mean, and then we had the Midka finals too, and th- and that's only for the top ten in each division. And we had what eight teams there? Yeah, out eight of out of forty. Eight out of forty, I think. We're from Traverse City, our our coverage area. Twenty percent, almost. You know, I mean, everywhere from or that is twenty percent. Yeah, from Cadillac to Traverse City, Kingsley, Benzie, and Manistee Catholic.
0: It's been a good year for track <laughs> and field. I can tell you that much. This honor roll meet, I think, was a very good barometer, and we always use this as a barometer just before state finals. We get to kind of see the Division Three kids go up against the Division One kids in some fashion that we really don't get to see all year long. Kids like from Benzie, um, Hunter Jones, gets to race against Division One, Division II kids like Luke Van Heisen and Drew Seabase and the sprinters like Dominic Glue and Tony Gallegos and somebody like Seth Stoltz from Benzie Central, who once again won a couple of MITCA races just this past week mm-hmm. in Division Three get to go up and race against these Division One runners. I mean, all the time, I've, I think I've covered it two out of three years that I've been here, Everybody's just like, no, this is literally exactly what we need before state finals. Sometimes it's a little tough to keep the legs underneath you, but this is exactly what they need to say, hey, we're actually going down state and getting the proper amount of competition. Don't you agree?
1: Yeah, and it's like, I think it's that close to the state finals, I mean, it's on Tuesday. Your finals are on you know Friday, Saturday, so you've got you've got a few days to, to recoup and and get your legs back under you, do all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you know, coaches kind of do limit kids a little bit. You don't see usually kids running in four events in the honor roll meet, you know, maybe you one or two. Yeah. That kind of thing. You know, but it's it's still a cool event. It's it's a fun one to watch just because it, uh you know, one year I kinda went as a, just as a spectator and it's it's fun to watch because you can see everything yeah. from those bleachers. You can watch the throwers over here, you can watch the high jumpers over here, the vaulters over here, you got a race going on all the time. You know, bam bam bam, right after another race. There's like no breaks. Yeah, you can just see everything from where the bleachers are set. I, I, the
0: so. one, I think the one thing that my favorite thing about covering that track meet in particular is that every kid is somebody that I have reported on this year. Mm-hmm. Every single name on that list is somebody I know, I'm looking out for, I kind of know their benchmarks, I kind of know what they should perform at, or I'm just very interested to see how, say, like I said, Hunter Jones or um, somebody like Tara Townsend from Frankfurt, a Division Four pole vaulter, Goes up against you know the Division One, Division Two people like that's what's always interesting because you go oh well as a freshman Tara won the pole vault you know Division Four but how does she kind of stack up a couple years later against Division One, Division Two mm-hmm. talent? And she broke the meet record in the pole vault and actually set a new personal record at eleven foot nine. So going go. right into state finals, you hit your highest pole vault ever. That's got to be a pretty big boost of confidence, right?
1: Yeah, been <laughs> beating Division
0: One, Division Two. By like almost two feet, Becky Lane. We we uh, we have we had Becky Lane on this podcast, friend of the podcast. She was a pole vaulter for T.C. West. She got second. She had a personal best at ten foot. I don't think I actually heard the whole place go crazy or anybody else go crazier than when Becky Lane hit ten feet. She got over ten feet and she freaked. It was it was actually really cool to see because she was so happy. She might have tackled two people on her way off the off the mat. <laughs> no, no joke. But I mean, Tara Townsend was not even close to the only person who shattered records this week, uh, yesterday, for the honor roll meet. And I have to bring it up, that that race with Hunter Jones, Drew Seabase, and Luke Van Huysen probably has to be one of the best race. I mean, even though Hunter Jones says it wasn't his best race, it probably has to be one of the best races that people have seen in decades. You know, along with that Drew Seabase and Hunter Jones cross-country race at the Pete Moss invite, when I'm talking the last, like, 80 or 90 meters, was just who was going to give it all and who was go- who had literally just a little bit more left in the tank between those two. It was one of the best cross-country races I've ever seen. Exact same thing happened in that 1600, the Ryan Shea Memorial Cup race, where Hunter Jones, Drew Seabase, and Luke Van Huysen are going back and forth for the first you know, lap, two laps. Luke gets ahead of Hunter Jones, Drew's passing, and Hunter catches up, and it's a race. Those last like 150 meters, Hunter Jones turns on the Jets pulls just ahead of Luke Van Heysen and beats him by, like, a second and a quarter and beats Ryan Shea's record for that meet, which the name for the 1600, the Ryan Shea Memorial Cup, is named after him because he set a record that nobody's beaten since 1997. The most amazing part is that both Hunter Jones and Luke Van Heysen broke Ryan Shea's record. That really – Luke has to be completely proud of himself. Because that is just, like, one of those – remember how we talked about, like, plays in the NFL, like, on penalties that, like, you'll never hear about because they technically didn't happen or whatever? I hope he doesn't get lost in the lore because he got in second in the race that they both broke the record. You know what I'm saying? Because if it was just Luke, Luke would have broke the Ryan Shea Memorial Cup record, and, wow, he did the whole thing. But, of course, Hunter had to be right there in front of him to take that. But, I mean, breaking his – Hunter broke his own record that in that race, and uh, – Broke the school record and, like, I mean, just talk about a I – don't, I don't know that anybody really thought that anybody was going to beat the Ryan Shea Memorial Cups record when it was named after him. You know what I mean? I mean, we've always talked about how good Ryan Shea is. We know what he did as a all-American national champion, like all that. Olympic hopeful. Yeah, like, that's pretty impressive that not only just Hunter Jones but Luke Van Heisen did too. And, I mean, Drew Seabase was, like, I think .06 seconds off of the record too. Like all three of them were literally just blazing down the mm-hmm. down the corners. So that was probably the most quote unquote exciting race of the day, but that was the only boys' record they got broken. There was five girls' meet records broken on Tuesday. We already talked about Tara Townsend. I think she broke that by a foot and a half. I'm pretty sure it was ten feet ten feet five inches was the previous record. She just kept on going up and up and up. And Mason King, he didn't break the the meat record, but he did a personal record. He went I think he went to fourteen feet yesterday. For TC West. So, like nice. a couple of really high pole vaulters going on yesterday. A couple of the other meet records that were busted. The 200 for the girls. Well, actually, busted. This one was met. Uh, Sarah Skirmerhorn actually tied the record for the 200 for the individual girls, which at 25.64 seconds, I believe, is what it was. Pretty dang impressive. But also, what's impressive is that she was part of the 800 relay team for Traverse City West that broke the school record and the meet record. But this meet record was the oldest meet record at the Record Eagle John Lober Honor Roll Meet, set in 1977, which was 44 years ago, when the meet's 47 years old. So it's been standing, basically, since the inception of the meet, and they beat it on Tuesday. So that was another one of those accomplishments that was just awesome to see. Sarah was a part of that, and then we've already talked about these girls on this podcast, and it's almost like they, you know, they go back and forth, but teammates from Traverse East Central, Mackenzie Boer and Leah Dozema, two of the most prolific throwers in Traverse City history. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mackenzie Bohr, she breaks the record in the shot put at the honor roll meet, and then Leah Dozema breaks the record in the discus, and they flip-flop. That was pretty cool, and that, if that doesn't say that, like, Girls Track, especially in particular, has been really good with, with TC West, TC Central this season, I don't know what does. Yeah,
1: I mean, those are, especially the record that stood there since 77. Like, nobody else
0: has broken that record for... Almost as old as I am. Yeah, like, no combination of four people could combine to make that happen. <laughs> and I'm old. Actually, I just realized that you, the, that meat's almost as old as you.
1: <laughs> I'm one year old. Yeah, that meet. yeah that's
0: funny. <laughs> when I was there yesterday, it was just like, okay, okay, everybody's going crazy. And then their school records falling left and right for St. Francis and for Benzie. And you're just like, wow. Like, because yesterday was a beautiful. Beautiful day for track and field. Oh yeah, I know. I thought that soccer game up in Elk Rapids. About was perfect. perfect. About perfect. If you were talking about like spring sports, yesterday was about the perfect day. Great segue, James. We have something else to talk about besides the honor roll meet, and that is the game that we previewed with our guests last week, Jordan and Taylor Noble. And that is the Elk Rapids Boyne City District semifinal. That was basically what we thought of match of our two best teams. You know, in northern Michigan, especially in those lower divisions this season. James, you were there. We saw Boyne City take the, the revenge game earlier in the season, and we talked about this rubber match. Let us, tell us how it went down. Point City scored a goal before I think a lot
1: of people were in their seats. Sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, 39 seconds into the game. Sounds about right. 39 seconds into the game, Jordan Noble scored just a, a laser like, Georgia Jenner had no
0: chance to get to this. They just, like, n- nobody would have. <laughs> she wasn't even and, in her goal yet at 39 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> she wasn't even in net, in net at that point.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and then the rest of the half was, I would say, at least dead even. So, like, Al Rapids was hanging out, with them. Take out that first minute, and the rest of the first half was, even, was dead even, or you give either team, you know, like a plus-minus two percent here or there so and and then the second half was pretty close as well Boynton city busted through and got that second goal to go up two nothing and then kind of i guess you would call the maybe one of the plays of the game aside from that first minute goal that kind of set the tone a little bit for Boyne, but taylor noble gets breaks free on a on a pass from her sister they were guests last week. And yeah, we, we, were talking we talked about, about we're, them passing to each other. Yeah, go find out how that happens on last week's episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, she breaks through on a, a pass from her sister, and and Georgia El Elgarpet's goalie. I think she she hesitated for a second, and then was like, "I'm going to go get this," and charges out of the box to go to go stop her. And the ball got a little bit ahead of her after 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 a touch and everything like that. And they both go after the ball and just run into each other at full steam. Oh, <laughs> Taylor and Georgia. Yeah, just run into each other at full steam. Uh, Georgia leaves the game with what I'm going to guess is at least a concussion. She doesn't remember the hit. You know, Jordan said that Taylor was fine. I interviewed Jordan after the game, and she said that that Taylor was fine. And everything. she could
0: she could just tell with the twin tuition.
1: Yeah, Jordan thought that the penalty happened in just inside the box. Because uh, Jenema actually got a yellow card. Oh,
0: for coming out and for, bodying her? For,
1: for coming out, I guess, and making contact or something. Or initiating contact, I don't know. But uh, she, got a, she got a yellow card, but she came out of the game and never went back in anyway. Kendall Stanfest went back in and in and goal of the freshman. And, and she played okay. I mean, they scored two goals on her, but they were two pretty legit goals that any goalie would have a hard time getting to. But it just kind of set the tone, I guess, a little bit after that. And, you know, Andrea Krakow said it was... You know, they thought she thought the game was a two nothing game, and it changed after that. Mm-hmm. And they got two more goals, and uh, kind of salted it away and stuff. But you know, I mean, it's still even at two nothing, it was kind of anybody's game because Rapids was getting some chances here and there. Um, man, Lauren Bingham is good. Yeah, I mean, the the Nobles we know, we we talked to them last week. Yeah, we, we the sent right, their Elk stats Rapids and everything like good. that. But man, Lauren Bingham is good, and and she's only a sophomore. Man, she's the next two years. She'll just take you outside because she's like, I'm faster with the ball than you
0: are. That works. <laughs> Seriously, it doesn't, soccer. I'll <laughs> no, get around you. I mean, she's fast. She's tall, lanky. That helps, too, with getting in the middle and jumping for balls.
1: Yeah. She's going to be so good over the next two years. Elk Rapids as a whole, I think, will be really good over the next two years because they got a lot of freshmen, sophomores on that team. They're going to have, like, ten juniors back. They only lose two starters off of this team.
0: going How lose does that seven. happen every year? How do people only lose, like, a starter or two or something? Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, Boyne's, how does that all continue? Boyne's going to lose
1: seven senior starters off this team. That's a team. lot, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean but this is, this is, like, Boyne's year. I think mm-hmm. I think Ed Fantosi stayed at Boyne making that two-hour drive each way to coach this team because he wanted to see this this team through because he's coached a bunch of those girls since they were just
0: pee-wees. little soccer players yeah, and everything. So
1: he's kind of come up the coaching ranks. Along with a bunch of them, it was it was a very good game. Four nothing, maybe not necessarily indicative of the of, of how close the game was or anything, but uh, and those two teams, you know, there was a little bit of John here and there, kind of between the coaches.
0: <laughs> uh, but why does that not surprise me? <laughs> well, I mean, because she's
1: uh, Andrea Krakow coached has coached some of the point girls, yeah, like in summer ball. And stuff. So, so she knows up uh, and knows yeah. once of the girls. She's like, I after the game, she's like, I coached ten of these girls. Okay. <laughs> before, so
0: she knows their knows the tendencies. No?
1: Yeah, <laughs> that'd be nice. So I, so I was like, well, so you get half of a win.
0: Oh, but we got what Boyne City against Sheboygan in the district final now uh, tomorrow, I think, or is it Friday? Yeah, Friday, Friday at six o'clock back Boyne, in Elk Rapids. Boyne already beat Sheboygan this season, right?
1: Yeah, six to nothing. So, uh, right before they beat. Like two days before they beat Elk Rapids seven to nothing, the the second time that they played, they had beaten Sheboygan six to nothing. So time is just
0: going in reverse. So, yeah, that works for me. Got a couple more things we want to talk about in the Pulse. One thing that is uh, pretty big news is, you know, for Traverse City West and Traverse City Central golf, both of those teams made the state finals for the first time together since 2011. I mean, it's the first time in general. Uh, Traverse City Central has made it since 2011, it's been a decade for them to get to the state finals. Traverse City West made it down there in 2018, but both of them going down there. I know remember we talked to Lois McManus. I think it has a byproduct of how many kids she has out this year. Well, she has so many kids. I mean, they have they basically I mean, they have three JV teams who participate in varsity tournaments and one varsity team who does very very well. And I mean, they got a, they got a lot of skill out there in Traverse City Central this year with I think she said they had 52 kids come out and they have 36 or something like that that they, they they're they're carrying.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering if if golf is the one sport that the pandemic was really good to, because it was kind of one of the few things that you could really go do. It was it's socially distanced and you can, you can get outside and you can practice it by yourself and do all that. I, I wonder if a lot of kids started getting more, more and more interested in that, more than normal, and if that's a byproduct of that, because um, the timing is
0: very coincidental to that. You know, once again, you have three or four guys, more, more like three for, for Traverse City Central and a couple of guys. I mean, Murphy Kehoe for West is shooting consistently at or under par. Shea Harmerson's right up there shooting only a couple shots over par for Traverse City Central. They got a couple of really, really consistent golfer on both, both golfers on both of those teams. And that's, once again, another byproduct of why they're getting down there. Yeah,
1: and getting those two or three that are always going to shoot pretty good scores for you and then having, like, another two, three, four guys behind that who you can rely on, one or two of them, Have getting day. in the 80s or something, you know, the the, the Zach Gallons and and all that, yeah. that that West has and, and kids at Central has, um, you know, that's kind of what you really need.
0: Uh, one more thing, so one one of the streaks that we've talked about for a long time, snapped when one of the streaks kept on going. Trevor City Saint Francis wins the Lake Michigan Conference, but what was it James like a 65 game winning streak? I think, or? I think
1: it was 62. I know, I know that it was 58 like a week or two ago. Um, 59. 59, yeah. 59 straight wins in the Lake Michigan Conference. Snapped. But you still get a conference Snapped title. because I they, lost, they lost the first game against Boyne City. So that meant they needed to, they had to win the second game against Boyne City in Boyne City to win the title outright. And they they pulled that one out. 4-3, to
0: three. that was close. In
1: a, in a close game. Yeah, to, to keep their streak of Lake Michigan Conference titles going at, I believe, 7? Mm-hmm. Which is also an impressive It's a very I mean, impressive. I guess if you win 59 games in a row, you're going to, byproduct, you're going to win a lot of league I mean, titles. That's like, that's like but, three. But seven, the seven titles is still...
0: Yeah, f- 59 is like three years, not seven years. I mean, you go eight years, that basically is like kids who are in kindergarten today will be in high school, and that whole time the baseball team hadn't lost a conference title. That sets a precedence, doesn't like, it? Or a conference game, even. Yeah, 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 it, even it's, come-
1: like, yeah it's like uh, that win streak was like... It's got to be four years worth of games. Or, yeah, or three, three so. three and a half or four years of games. Yeah, I mean, this year with there's fewer games, I think, than normal. 14 this year, so it 14, has to be less. So that's like a little less than normal, but, you know, so that's spread out probably over four years.
0: And I think the last time they lost a game was also to Boyne. Not surprising. I mean, dude, we have talked about this on this podcast but in particular, and when we had Boyne, I mean, Boyne itself, they have great athletes right now. with Bobby Hoth year. and Aaron Bass and all those kids, like, they just have, like, all around, like three sports all around, like you can't count Boyne City out of any game at any point, especially on the boys' side. Girls' side a lot of the times too, but especially on the boys' side in the last year or two, with some of the athletes they have, it's just like, I know that's like one of those any given Sunday situations for Boyne City. They can't beat anybody with who they have. Mm
1: -hmm. And we already talked about the girls' soccer team. You know, I mean, they've got the Nobles. They've got, I mean, Allie Herrick is another one of those multi-sport standouts. Gems. For them. Yeah. Yeah, Point City this year has has put together a pretty
0: good season. Yeah. As a whole. So, with that Lake Mission Conference snapped, we have wrapped up the Pulse, and we are going to dive into our interview with baseball players Wyatt Danielavich from Traverse City West and Josh Klug from Traverse City Central. Let's go ahead and give a listen to that now. The Get Around Podcast is extremely excited to welcome in two of Traverse City's baseball stars, Traverse City West's Wyatt, Levich and Josh Klug. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Wyatt coming from Traverse City West, a junior. Hello. And Josh, a sophomore from Traverse City Central. Hello. Uh, we are very excited to have these guys in here. Both headed off to Louisville after their careers here in Traverse City, but we have a lot to talk about before we get into that. We're going to start with our Freaky Fast Five, a nod to our sponsors at Jimmy John's. Get to know these guys a little bit better. I'm going to start off. We'll go with seniority rules with the junior over here for Wyatt and say, what's your favorite fast food chain? Definitely a big uh, McDonald's guy. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's the go-to meal then?
2: Go-to meal, probably uh, McChicken.
3: Keep it cheap, so.
0: You just go off the dollar menu? Yeah, dollar menu. Mc okay. McChicken. Okay, what about you, Josh? What's your favorite fast food uh, restaurant?
3: I'd have to say Jimmy John's. I get it every day after practice, and I get it number one. Every Everybody day, ranch.
1: every yeah.
0: day, basically, every you don't day. get sick of it. Mm-mm. Okay, well, it's like right around the corner. Yeah. Well, thank God we are sponsored by Jimmy John's. Thanks for the free advertisement for our people yeah. here yeah. every I would, day. I guess
2: if you're counting Qdoba, as fast food, and then Qdoba is mine.
0: Yeah, I would definitely say Qdoba's is pretty fast food. Yeah. Qdoba
1: is definitely mine then for counting. We are Qdoba. actually sponsored by Jimmy John's.
0: That's what I'm saying. That's why this is a freaky uh, fast guesses. vibe. Yeah. Sponsored by Jimmy John's. So you know, I guess if you want to go play baseball at Louisville. You eat Jimmy John's every day. That's the correlation I'm finding here. So good sponsorship. But All right, next question. Uh, this is probably a good one here. Um, if you had to describe yourself as an animal, Wyatt, which one would it be? A bear. A bear? Yeah. What about you, Josh? Elk. An elk? Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, I, hey, I like it. I like it. Those are like imposing animals. and We actually have some elk around here. I don't know so much. So
1: you guys uh, do know each other well. <laughs> yeah. Bears and elks. Um <laughs> <too> well. <laughs> now, just follow up. Are you guys hunters? I am. I'm a big,
0: yeah. I'm Are you an elk hunter?
1: No. Okay, uh, which way do you guys pronounce it? Is it uh, Louisville or Louisville? Louisville.
0: Louisville. Did they yeah. give you a clinic on how to say it when you were down there?
2: I feel like that's just how everyone says it down there, and it kind of rubbed off on us when we were down
0: there. Mm-hmm. I feel like this yeah, is how it's supposed so. to be said. Yeah. Yeah.
3: My grandparents live down there, so I, they always say Louisville. And
0: okay. Okay, them. so there was kind of a connection there, too.
1: Yeah. Would you rather trade intelligence for looks or looks for intelligence? Looks for intelligence. All day. 100%, yeah. Looks, looks for, for t-
0: intelligence. Okay, okay. Okay, so let's get, let's get one more in here just in case. For <laughs> I got neither. Just What's the right? Up? I was like, I can't trade one for the other. What are you supposed to do? Are you a clean or a messy person, Wyatt? Be honest.
2: During baseball season, I'd say I'm messy. Like, my truck right now is pretty messy, just full of baseball stuff, some clothes laying around in there. But outside of that, I'd say I'm pretty pretty clean. Like, I don't really, my room's never dirty or anything. I'm normally pretty decent about taking my clothes upstairs to the laundry room. So, But, I don't know, I'm kind of in between, I'd say.
0: It's like the hustle and bustle of baseball season kind of gets everything yeah, shuffled kinda, up? It
2: honestly, it depends the
3: week. I try my best to be clean. I mean, my car got kind of out of hand. Until a few days ago, when I decided to take a nice 30 minutes and clean it all out, but yeah. try my best.
2: And just when there's like a bunch of like, like power bottles and like yeah. bang cans, a bunch of water
3: bottles and bangs. And just and like when you're done with them, you kind
2: of just throw them. Like the back of my truck uh, had like, I don't know, I cleaned that out, and there's like 15
0: cans back there. So, so that was the Freaky Fast Five. A nod to our sponsors at Jimmy John's and an extra nod to our sponsors at Jimmy John's. Thanks to Josh. Uh, we're going to get into the rest of this interview with these two-way stars for these Traverse City schools. Uh, we, have a, we have a Titan and a Trojan in here. So just to start off with, you guys have said that you guys have been friends for quite some time. Yes. Um, I want to ask you guys kind of how that all started and, you know, the trajectory that you guys are on. Are like seems like you were on a path. You kind of have diverged and you're going to get back, but you're still buddies with you guys going to different high schools. Can you guys just describe the relationship and how that got started?
2: I think it started out with Norman. Uh, he's our trainer, and I'm pretty sure back in like four-ish years ago, he started training both of us at the same time, and then we just started working out with each other more. Our families became close, and then we just became good friends after that.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, you guys both pitch. Was Is Norman like a, a pitching coach? Is he Was he a fielding coach, just a trainer for, for weightlifting? How did you guys kind of get in together?
3: It was more of... Lifting and speed and power, but that definitely correlated into baseball 100%. Like, you need lifting and power and strength to be successful with baseball.
0: And even though you guys are good friends and been around each other, I mean, you guys have to be rivals at this point with being Traverse City Central, Traverse City West. I mean, you guys split those games at your home field this year, which I know obviously was a battle, basically. One game for you, one game for you to kind of like take on the other team. Can you guys describe what that's like when you guys are like both on the mound and opposite games having to hit off each other and kind of beat each other in a rivalry game?
2: I mean, for me, I didn't really think much of it. I just went out and played. Because when I started thinking about stuff, that's when stuff starts going south for me. So when I just go out there and play and have fun play the game I love. That's when everything goes good. I mean, in the back of my head, I definitely know I'm playing against Josh and all my other boys from Central. So it's definitely more competitive, I'd say. I'd say any conference game is more competitive than non-conference games. So, I don't know, stuff I like live for. I love competitiveness. Competitiveness. So anything competitive,
0: I'm down to play. I'm always going to be there. I mean, does it mean any more to you to to get, like, a double or a ripper off him than anybody else because you'd know what he's working with?
3: I mean, I know that he's a very competitive pitcher, and he'll throw at you, so I know he's going to be around the zone. So, I mean, I had, I think, three Ks against him. So, I mean, he he struck (laughs) me out three times. So, I mean, it would be nice, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it would mean any more or any less. I
2: would say it. I ripped a double off Josh or something. He'd definitely know the next day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: It probably wouldn't be that. probably just not too long after the game. No, i right? no. let, let it sit oh, Okay, okay. <laughs> let him think about it a little bit. What pitch was it that you couldn't
1: hit? What would you strike out on?
3: I think two of them were fastballs up and away, and then the other one was a curveball away. I struck out looking. Pate did that out of half.
0: Yeah. yeah, You're a pretty good pitcher, too. I, I've asked this question before. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But I, I feel as if, you know, if you're confident enough in it, you can tell somebody and it's not going to make a difference. I mean, what's your payoff pitch? Curveball, yeah. Now both of you guys got pretty nasty curveballs. Yeah, I'm
2: comfortable th- throwing it throw in any count any situation.
0: Yeah,
1: big curve on that. Big sweeping curve on that, too. Yeah. I noticed from Saturday.
0: So how hard is it to add another pitch to your arsenal as you grow um, and work on certain ones to get, get them honed in? But I know, obviously, they usually try to bring you up. But in the high school realm, they usually try to make you focus on a couple. You're really good at what you're doing. But I know that you guys are probably playing around. I know when I was, I was a catcher in high school, and I don't think I ever had a pitcher who wasn't trying to throw a, a split finger or a circle change or something to try to work it out. How hard is it to kind of add a pitch, and is there anyone that you wish you had in your arsenal?
2: I have a three-pitch arsenal. I don't throw my change-up a lot in high school ball, but I definitely, before I go to college, I want to make sure my changeup's locked in and right where it needs to be on point because I feel like a changeup is one of the best pitches to have in your arsenal.
3: Yeah, I would say the same. I have a three-pitch mix, and I just, I'm mostly fastball, curveball, but I have a splitter, too. I try and work on that during bullpens or in warm-ups. and In-game, if I'm comfortable with it, I'll throw it a couple times maybe in a game but mostly just fastball, curveball.
1: Both of you guys I signed with Louisville and uh, as, as pitchers, but both of you guys have been basically your team's best hitters this year too. It, it, was that a thing with going to Louisville? Because I know they've been kind of a school that will let players maybe do both a little bit. I plan on going there
2: and pitch. Mm-hmm. I plan on dropping the bat, but, I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, if they give me the opportunity to hit, I mean, of course I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But... As of right now I'm going
0: under a pitch. Same for you, Josh?
3: Yeah, that's that's mostly the same for me. Yeah.
0: Once again, you guys are on opposite sides of the spectrum when it comes to Traverse City Central, Traverse City West, and I mean the rivalry across schools in general is, is pretty big, but I think you said, you know, you got a lot of buddies on Central and oh, it, it, yeah. I mean is that does that have to do with travel ball and how much you've done? I mean, what what is the actual what's the relationship between your guys' baseball teams right now and how, how friendly competitive is it? Well no,
2: I'd say it's a pretty I mean a lot of there's a lot of kids on Central that are friends with kids at West. I know we all work out, most of us, I mean, handful at Central and a handful at West on the t- baseball teams. We work out together and hit and everything in the winter time. so kind of just brings us together. I mean, we're definitely, I don't think any of us are going to hold a grudge against what school you go to. I mean, if you're friends, you're friends. And then, I mean, of course, when you're on the baseball field, you're not friends, but as soon as it's over, you're back to being friends. So,
0: a lot of baseball players have really weird superstitions. I mean, if there's a necklace or something like that. I mean, do you guys have any weird superstitions when you're on the mound? Because I know pitchers in particular are usually pretty root- particular about their routine, you know, with their stretch, with their windup, or whatever. Is there any superstition or any particular thing you have to do when you're on the mound in order to stay in the groove?
2: I got two things. Well, one I kind of broke this year was I've never pitched a game before because this was my first high school season. I never pitched a game without my necklace on. And that's always just been, like, I feel like my, like, Thing. I've always had it on. And then I hate new, like brand new balls. Like, they're always, I like, give them a pearl, and now I, like, the more beat up the ball, the better it is to me.
3: Okay, okay. Yeah, I'd say that, like, before the game, like, if they toss me a pearl, I'll just get some dirt in my hand and rub it on. Rub yeah, it on. Make sure <laughs> it's not new. I, I just can't stand it. Mm-hmm. Way like, too
2: slippery. Throw mm-hmm. it on the fence, scuff it up, like, really make beat some, like, it. Like, cuts in it or whatever. You
3: gotta.
0: Got to get the tail somehow. Yeah. <laughs> you got, you got, you got to get some kind of cut out of that baseball. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let me. Ask, so you say you don't like pearls? Then if you make it to the majors, how do you manage that? Because they use, I think, like 130 balls a game, yeah. or something like that. They don't use the same ball more than like once.
2: Well, I feel like with major league balls, they, the laces are way shorter, so I feel like that might help. Cause It'll I, help already. I, I'm not a, yeah, like I'm not a big fan of the tall laces, so I can't wait for those balls to go away. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I know that college uses shorter laces too, so that would be very nice to get shorter laces.
1: Josh, about about a month ago, I think it was, uh, I think Doug Lee runs the strength and conditioning Twitter account, mm-hmm. posted a photo of you from like two thousand fifteen, yeah, and then a photo of you na- photo of you now and said like, this is hope for middle middle school kids. Yeah, yeah. So what did you think about that?
3: I mean, I thought it was pretty pretty true because I. I wasn't always, like, the biggest kid, I'd say. I'd say I'd always be, like, pretty average. I laughed. I had to laugh about it. All my friends saw it. It was funny. It was funny to joke about, you
0: know? Yeah. I, I mean, but, mm-hmm. but to see that as use for motivation for the rest of your school, the rest of the kids, you know, I mean, is that something that, when, when you look back at it, I, I mean, you guys talk about with a personal trainer four or five years ago. I mean, you're 17? or Are yeah, you 17, 16? Yeah, 16. 16. So, I mean, you're talking about when you guys were 11 12 years old, doing strength and speed work. What do you think that did for you guys as young baseball players or just young athletes in general to start that young in a, you know, a very regimented, this is what we want to get done type of deal?
2: Definitely gave me the work ethic. Taught me a work ethic and the work ethic I have today. I used to be a chunkier kid, not going to lie. Like I could almost say I was borderline like fat a couple years ago. So, I don't know, that's really just just been the work ethic and everything and just knowing that someone someone's out there doing something better than you just always makes me upset. Like I wanna be the best in everything I do. My high school coach, Coach Judge, he said he told me my freshman year, never cheat. The man in the mirror, which is like yourself, so that's always been in my mind ever since you told me
0: that. So you guys were kind of opposite spectrums. You went from skinny to like big, and you went from like big to like skinnier. And you, yeah. had to like, you guys had to like shape yourselves uh-huh. in completely opposite ways. I mean, what what about for you? What do you think? What do you think that early stage developmental work did for you? I just think it
3: taught me work ethic because I know like at the beginning I didn't really have that work ethic that I have now. I'd say it definitely taught me that. And I just wanted to get bigger so I could be better at what I do because I'm always trying to improve myself and my team to be better.
0: I mean, you've been yeah. playing baseball for a long time. How much do you think that size has helped you um, with pitching and with hitting? I know uh, when you see like, somebody like Aaron Judge or something yeah. walk up to the batter's box, you're like, oh, my God, this guy's just going to crush the ball. I mean, have you seen a correlation with the size difference from when you were playing then and now and the actual uh, you know, result? Yeah,
3: definitely. I would say like two years ago, I mean I had an arm surgery for baseball. I broke my it's one of the one of the bones. and like your elbow though? <laughs> yeah, it, it's that one right there. Okay. I broke that sliding back to a base and I kept throwing and it broke it all the way off. But I know that I feel like I came back way stronger and throwing harder than than I did before
0: that. I don't know, I guess I just didn't really have much of a work ethic before that. So, you kind of had to like, you like have to I work back from this, and that's kind of what put you on the level where you are because you know what you had to do to get back from that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, would, I would say that's probably a big reason.
1: Yeah. Well, why you had to work, come back from an injury, too, right? You had yeah, my knee surgery. year. Uh huh. Yeah. I
2: had knee surgery my freshman year, and that was a major hit on me. It took a toll on me because I made varsity as a freshman, and then I was told I had to have knee surgery. So, that really hit me, but I came back stronger, throwing harder faster and everything so it definitely humbled me and made me uh, work
0: even harder and i know it's not something like you you would ever wish on yourself or anybody else but it seems like kind of a common thread with you guys at least and i'm sure i've heard this from a lot of professional and other college athletes that you know that type of reality check is really something that that really resonates with athletes when you're doing something that you love would you guys agree that like time away from the sport is almost the the biggest like fire underneath because, I mean, you, you, like you said, you're a junior. You're playing your first high school season yeah. right now. I mean, that that's two years off of spring baseball, really. You know, all last year was kind of crazy. And then, obviously, everybody basically had their entire year taken away last year. Yeah. What does what time away from something that you love do for you when you get back?
2: I feel like every athlete knows the pain of it, like if they've ever done gone through it. I mean, of course, like you get you're there supporting your boys, but there's always that. Like, oh, man, that should be me out there, like, playing, competing with everything. So, I mean, you try to stay as positive as you can, but, like, in the back of your head, you just want to play. And I feel like that just fires you to get better, like, healthier sooner.
0: Now, one thing we haven't really talked about yet is the the impending you know, games that are coming up this week, which, you know, this Friday, you guys start baseball districts. Traverse City Central, you guys will be playing, you know, Mount Pleasant. You guys will be taking on Alpena in that first round and then possibly being able to meet in that district final, I'm sure. You know, not positive, but I'm pretty sure that your coaches in a district final would put you guys on the mound against each other to kind of like see how that would go. I just want to know what you guys are thinking about the potential of the playoffs and how you guys are setting your goals and what you guys want to do as a team to kind of make it out of this next round when, you know, we're sitting in front of two guys. You know, only one can survive.
3: I know that in practice, we've all been like laser focused. Like, I know some of the seniors have been getting on the guys have about being laser focused. And I know that we're gonna try and bring our best game to play baseball, the sport that we love, and hopefully get some wins.
2: Yeah, for us, we're just gonna, we've been practicing hard. We're just gonna go out there and do our thing. Hopefully, we've been practicing a lot on our defense. I know we've made some, everyone, we've had some errors that have cost us games, so we were really gonna tone that up. Just go out there and play our best baseball, have fun, and then hopefully come out with the district trophy. So I mean that's the end
0: goal. I mean, does it excite you guys at all to maybe think about the possibility of having like a, a pitcher's duel in a district final? Yeah.
2: Love yeah.
3: As it. competitive as it gets, right there. Yeah, I would, I would love that. It's competitive <clears throat> baseball game that we love.
1: So who's got the f- tougher first round matchup? You guys with Mount Pleasant or are you guys with Alpina?
3: I'd probably Mount Pleasant. I don't know, I know that they're I know that they're a really good team. I think that we we're also a really good team and I think that we'll be able to get a win out of it.
2: I think I mean Opeen is a very good team. I feel like we're a very good team. I feel like if we play our baseball and don't stoop down anyone else's level, we can be anyone we put our mind to it. So if we play our baseball and play good and have each other's backs, I feel like there's no reason why we should not win.
1: Josh you had a couple older brothers that played college ball how how has that uh impacted you as far as uh has it kind of been pressure to live up to what they've done or have they kind of helped you along the way as far as you know this is what you got to do and this is what what's going to happen all that Mm, uh yeah i
3: would say that having two brothers in college and having my oldest brother still there with me he's been around wide and i for yeah. multiple years paul mm-hmm. he definitely helped um my brothers that played in college they they always just used to talk about the experience and what you need to do to get to that level and it definitely pushed me and drove me to be what i am and work as hard as i can
1: even when they dressed you up in goalie gear when you were a kid and- <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i remember
2: when paul's been there through it all like I got a good relationship with Paul. Mm-hmm. Like we're good. I'd say we're we're really close. So I mean, he's helped both of us through a bunch of stuff. So we love Paul.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> he's he's been he's been there for a lot. And uh, now you
0: guys both going off to Louisville. I just want. I mean, we kind of had we we talked to the Noble sisters last week. who are going to the same school, and I know you guys are friends and not not quite brothers, you know, sisters. But like, did it have any like any? rub off on either one of you guys why you went there like was it like oh came to town to see one of you guys saw the other one you guys were at the same camp how did how did you guys end up being friends working out together you know being stars in traverse city and both end up at the same division one school somewhere else way across the country
2: i'd say billy peterson hooked us up with louisville yeah both of us he's the head director at diamonds downstate and then i mean Me and Joshy, we've always been talking about playing D1 baseball. And then when I committed to the University of Louisville, like, I went down there to the camp and, like, visited it and loved it. Loved the coaches, loved the atmosphere, loved the field, everything about it. Like, that's where I wanted to call home. I told Joshy about it, and he was always, like, all right, but then he's, like, like, I'm going to work my butt off to, like, be able to do it, too. Because, and then we've talked about playing ball with each other at the next level for a long time, so and then you went down and did your thing
3: yeah I would say when Wyatt committed that like actually gave me the drive for sure to get as good as I am now to be able to commit to Louisville and I know like he went down to a camp and pitched in front of the coaches but I was like basically all online. I went down just to like visit the campus and watch a practice but I never got to like show them like what I could do I did it all
0: online, and it was just all virtual. I guess a little bit, little bit mm-hmm. different, but they still yeah. were able to, like evaluate you that way. You just haven't technically had like an in-person combine type deal or whatever. Just no, like
1: a com- they're throwing like bullpen and showing them videos type thing. That no, was just because of COVID. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah,
0: yeah.
3: It was just, it was just because of that. But I know for a fact that Billy Peterson really hooked us up.
2: Well, I know for a fact when Josh committed, I started tearing up and happiness. Yeah, that's like a dream come true. Awesome.
0: So, so how much do you plan on? Uh, bugging him when he gets off to Louisville about the experience for a whole year while you're still stuck at Traverse City Central (laughs) oh I'm gonna be like I'm going to be blowing up his phone every day. I'm going to be like, yo, 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 how's it going? Yeah. What's you you Start telling everybody about me. Get them all prepared. Josh is coming <laughs> to campus, huh? Yeah. I, I can see it. Well, alrighty, guys. Uh, Josh and Wyatt, thank you guys so much for coming in here tonight and uh, taking a little bit of time with us. It was great to get to know each one of you. Uh, we wish you guys both the best of luck in districts, obviously. I mean, we hope to see you guys face off in a district final because we'd be just as excited about it as you guys. But uh, good luck the rest of the season, the rest of your guys' high school careers, and down in Louisville. Thank,
3: thank, you. You for us.
0: thank you. Another huge thank you to Wyatt and Josh for joining us here at the Get Around. I know we're excited to see what they still have left in store for these Traverse City baseball teams uh, this season and beyond. And then obviously out at Louisville, will they be playing together? I think that's just like a really cool. Uh, story, and especially because they're such good buddies, uh, it's always cool to have them in the podcast studio together. So we thank you once again. That interview sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Order a tasty sandwich today with the Jimmy John's app. James, that's going to put us into the chatter that matters, and you're going to have to take the lead on this because it's something that you put out last Sunday. Uh, we didn't have a podcast on Monday, so we didn't get really a chance to talk about it, but we kind of rehashed some features and stuff like that in this segment, and one of the things that we noticed last week, or you in particular, after some Pretty quiet resignments and movements in the coaching world. That basically the basketball scene in the Traverse City schools is completely up in the air.
1: Yeah, if, if between the Traverse City schools, the, the five schools we have in Traverse City, including TC Christian and, and Grand Traverse Academy, there's nine varsity basketball coaches. Only three are confirmed to be back next year. I mean, that's a that's a lot of turnover for one off season. Yeah. In, in one in one sport. I mean there's there's been uh, there's been more churning overturning, you know, of coaches in the last decade I think than you've seen for a long time. Just in like, general? Yeah, just in general. You're not seeing the guys like like a, you know, like a Don Miller, you know, guys like John Lober that that stay at a place for 30 40 years. You're just not seeing that anymore. And you're just seeing a lot more turning over. I mean, some of those coaches that I talked to uh, attributed it to COVID because they I think it was Amy Drake who said, you know, I think a lot of these coaches are seeing you know, they stayed home a lot during COVID and
0: It wasn't so bad. And it wasn't
1: that bad and then time with their family and everything and they kinda realize some of the stuff that they're missing out on doing this coaching because it's coaching a varsity sport at the high school level, especially one of the big sports like basketball or football mm-hmm. or baseball or track or softball yeah. or track, you know, is, is a year round job. There's like barely an off season, you know, so it's become a full-time job with uh, very, very part-time pay.
0: Very part-time pay, which I'm sure is part of the reason. And I know, you know, I I think one of the more interesting things, once again, you say that nobody's staying long, but it's not even people staying for five, eight, ten years really anymore. I mean, didn't you say Sean Finnegan at Traverse City St. Francis is now the longest tenured basketball coach, and he's going into season number four? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the dean. That's not very the dean long. Of Traverse City basketball. That's not that's not very long. You know, no, three years. Out of nine coaches. Yeah, only three years. I mean, what, what do you attribute it to? I mean, I know what I what I saw with a few of them. You know, like I brought this up yesterday, but like somebody like Travis Shuba, I think you kind of see that trajectory, right? It was like he's not going to be here forever. He's kind of a really young guy, like twenty five years old. He has a lot of promise, whatever. I mean, and I hate to even say it like this, but I kind of feel like that's kind of the trajectory that like Stephen Draper's on too. The guy they just hired. You know what I'm saying? A good young basketball coach. I don't know that he's going to be sticking around for 18 years. And like that. I know everybody would they will want him to if that, that's how it is to go. But, mm-hmm. you know, I just don't, I don't see that. We just saw another young guy in, like, t- Tyler Shell leave Traverse City, St. Francis, you know. And, th- I mean, those, those are the people who have the potential of sticking around for 40 years. You're not going to get somebody in their 50s who's sticking around mm-hmm. to their 90. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's those young guys who you kind of have to retain.
1: Yeah, and, and Sanders Fry is not that old of a guy. At Traverse City West, I mean West is the one that has is replacing has to replace both coaches, boys and girls this off season. You know Central I had you know like Greg Farmer step down, but he retired as a teacher too, so that's not really surprising. But he had been there for how many years? Like five, five I, think. I think five, maybe, maybe six. Yeah, you know, I mean, so that's that's a decent amount of time, but it's not all that long. Tyler Shell had been at St. Francis for I think four. You know, Sanders Fry had been at West for six, somewhere in that in that range. I, I, I guess Amy Drake was two. Yeah, Eric Woofter was only one at TC Christian, but he came in telling them that he was just an interim guy yeah. and this
0: was going to be a one year deal. I just, I guess, I look at it this way because, like you kind of said, I mean, most if not all, a lot of the ones in the big schools, at least the coaches are teachers. They get a teaching job and then they get coaches, or they'll tap a. Social studies teacher who has some background and say, "Hey, would you do this for us?" You know, mm-hmm. kind of do pull double duty. That I guess that's what kind of surprises me. Also, is that they're not really retaining teachers, and that you know that's the difference. It's not just like oh goodbye coaches or the coaches are just saying I don't want to coach anymore. These people are completely moving, stepping away from the schools and the programs, and you go, "Okay, so who are they going to bring back in?" And what one of the good points that Ron Stremel brought up to me yesterday is with Traverse City Central, Traverse City West, something like that, while while it seems, you know, that they have a couple of positions to fill, it's going to be a lot easier for them to fill coaching positions, even though it's a lot more work than, say, somebody like uh, Forest Area or Manistee Catholic or uh, even somebody like Lake All St. Mary, you know, T.C. Christian, just these smaller Division Four schools because, one, you know, Traverse City Central probably has 120 teachers on sk- on staff. That's 120 people you can choose, pick and choose or – even if one person leaves, I mean, it's more than likely that out of 120 people and teacher wise, somebody's going to leave every year. So you leave a mm-hmm. position open, you be like, hey, we can try to find a football, or we can try to find a basketball coach who teaches this, and we can kind of fit that mold. And there's a spot for them at the school to be a teacher and to do this.
1: Yeah, that's true. But when it but, comes. But you're also, if you're doing that, then you're kind of limiting yourself to only being able to hire a coach that teaches that subject. Yeah, but
0: I'm, not, I'm just saying, it's not I'm trying to limit. I'm just saying, but that's yeah. my point is that. In a school of one hundred twenty, I'm just saying one. There's probably about a handful, fifteen teachers a year who are cycling in and out or whatever. Yeah, There's I think it's probably kind of, a,
1: it's kind of a byproduct of, of teachers moving. Exactly. Too. I mean, because people are moving on as teachers as much as the coaches, and some of the teachers are coaches. Yeah, S- that's exactly. The, so they're mo- most on. of the teachers are coaches, and that's one of
0: the things that I was talking about with smaller schools. That's really hard. Is that when you have a staff of ninety or hundred co- teachers? And ten of them leave. That gives you an opportunity to fill ten spots to kind of like f- mm-hmm. figure that out. When you're somebody like Ron, Ron Strombergs, he's like, when you're somebody with Forest Area who has 14 teachers on staff, every teacher yep. is basically ha- has to coach two teams, or it's not going to work. And then you have to go into the community, which is already small. You know, you only have 90 kids in your school, mm-hmm. so technically you might have a 180 parents to try and volunteer time. Not teachers, like the 120 teachers, like somebody mm-hmm. in Division one school, 180 parents in general who might volunteer their time or even have close to any expertise to try and coach this stuff. So I, I just never really thought about how hard it can be for the smaller schools when, say, a teacher who's been there for 22 years decides, hey, it's time for me to go, and then you go, well, we haven't had another person in our 15 staff that has any coaching experience with basketball or any coaching experience in this realm, well, not that we're going to try and find somebody, but if we don't, we have to try to teach somebody from the ground up. And it's just like, that's, that's just an interesting conundrum because it's like, you can not find teachers. When you only have 13 people Only have thirteen people on staff, that's what your budget is. You're not going to be able to pigeonhole one person to be like, oh, well, we have a football coach and the, the calculus teacher that we needed for the seniors. Like, it doesn't quite work like that. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It's more or less just like, well, we have to piecemeal this and see how it goes. So the coaching carousel is probably a lot more complicated than a lot of people think about.
1: Oh, it, I, it definitely is. I mean, there's there's so many factors that come into that. I mean, there's one the, the pay's not much. No, the Pay's not much.
0: Football football you're coaches putting, might get paid the most, and it's still not a lot of money.
1: Yeah, I don't I, I don't even know what. I mean, there's there's different options. You can take it just a regular pay. If you're a teacher, you can you can basically use your coach's salary and have an extra step in your seniority, kind of in in place of your salary, so you're getting more money, but in, in place of that, you know, if you're not teaching, you're just getting a straight up little paycheck for being the basketball coach or something. And but it's not that it's much. It a, literally a it's little not paycheck. that much. And and it's becoming, like you said, a year-round job of you know doing camps, sending these kids to camps, going with them to camps. Yeah, you know, helping them with
0: recruiting. Yeah, emails, calls, doing videos,
1: doing all this stuff.
0: Training programs, off-season training programs. I mean, fundraising. Yeah,
1: fundraising has become such a big thing now. I mean, being a varsity football coach now is you're not you're not coaching much of the time. You're just delegating. I mean, half your job is probably paper pushing. More
0: there's, than likely,
1: there's so much paperwork. And everything too that that I don't think people, the parents or, you know, the fans see that these coaches have to do, and you know, getting certified for CPR and, and doing all these things, yeah, and going and to coaches' clinics, and and camps, and you know, they gotta learn just as much as the athletes do. Yeah, they gotta keep, they gotta keep stepping up their game. Yeah, so they, they want to keep so coaching, They, they, they so gotta be stagnate. Yeah, and all that, and and then there's dealing with kids, dealing with parents. Referees? And maybe dealing with yeah, referees, it, administrators. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have a clash with, you know, the principal or the athletic director, or you know, some parents that say, "Hey, my kid's not playing enough," or you know, well, you know, why is my why is my kid not playing? They're a senior. They've been here. They go to practice and everything like that. We've we've seen that, you know, where coaches get pushed out because of
0: or not even, maybe parents. not maybe not even pushed out, but coaches say, "I'm leaving" because I ain't dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Right, I don't want to deal with this this BS. I'm getting out of here. Like, I ain't got time for you people. But that's just like it's tough because I think that's why we're seeing the turnover. We're not seeing the retention is because the expectation nowadays is way different than it was 30 years ago. Especially with once again with social media and constant connection and connectivity. And I mean, hate to be like this, but. In nineteen eighty, it wasn't where you're getting an email from a parent to somebody because, like, parents not most of the time. Parents and stuff like that they don't come up and say stuff to coaches or anything like that. Like, they'll call Mm -hmm. or they'll they'll like send a little email or they'll go to the administration or something like that. And it's just like, that's not there's no barriers to that stuff anymore. There's no hey, you can't get a hold of coach. You're just sending them off. It's just like you. It's constant. Like you said, twenty four hours a day. I mean, yeah. I just think
1: back. I mean, I was a I was a high school athlete in the nineties. In the you know. Late 80s, early 90s. I never talked to my coach outside of practice or school. He was a teacher in school and everything like that. Like, they weren't bugging you. They didn't have to send you texts all the time. Yeah. Like like they do now. Reminders, a reminder for Reminders of this or, or that and schedules and everything's online. So you're constantly getting, you know, and the, and the coaches are doing this, these things. And 30, 40 years ago, it was a lot more. Coach shows up for practice. X's and O's. Coach shows you what to do in practice, and you show up for the game, and coach tells you what to do. Yeah. Was it wasn't it? nearly as year-round of a, of a thing. You, Some people did. Some people made it into that, but I don't think it had to be. Now it kind of it has to be because other people are going to do it, and if you don't, you're going to be left in the dust.
0: I mean, I remember that same thing when I was in high school, and this is when you say it's a 24-hour-a-day, like, oh, 12, 365 day a year job. It really is. The kids have the three hours after school to do that stuff. It's not. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I'm taking time off work, or I'm adjusting my work schedule to make sure I'm there for the three hours to get everybody to work out in December when I won't coach another practice for nine and a half months. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot for it's a lot for anybody to ask of anybody, let alone expect them to continue to do. But I mean, we talked to a lot of coaches, and that is their passion. But you have to find somebody like that who's going to stick around and is willing to. And once again, I hate to be like this. But you got to treat them right.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is that that person has to have an amazing amount of flexibility. In whatever, if they're not a teacher, if they have a a regular jobby job, a daytime 9-to-5 job or or, or something that's not even 9-to-5. Yeah, business or whatever. I mean, if you're a golf coach, half your stuff's during the day. How does somebody that works Monday through Friday 9-to-5 do that? They don't. They can't. (laughs) Yeah, they don't. They can't. So, and so you got to have people that have jobs that have an incredible amount of flexibility. People that are self-employed, or family, or, ha- the, or are the boss, yeah, <laughs> or something, or I own retired, my own company, retired already, or, or something. Uh, just because the the amount of flexibility that you have to have in your schedule to do that. I mean, if you're not if you're not in the building and, and going to run strength and conditioning at eight a.m. or seven a.m. every morning. It think, think of if you had, you know, if you're a normal 9-to-5 factory worker or wherever you work or whatever, and then you had to go every day at 6 or 7 a.m. and oversee an hour of strength and conditioning
0: yeah. before work. Actually coach it, too.
1: Yeah, which means if that starts at 6, you're getting
0: up at 4.30. 4, 4.30. Yeah, that's a whole day. I don't know, I just... Uh... I can see why the coaching carousel is the way it is, and like once again, especially when it's people coming to like my age or whatever. Like, I know, I know my, the generations are different too. I, I, we're we're going pretty deep in this. We're running pretty long, but the generations are different too. And I know that's a thing that you know the traditional family model, you know, the traditional way of like American dream life isn't quite the same anymore. Where one parent can just leave it all up to the other parent to stay home and take care of the kids or whatever, or, or you know, what I'm saying people want and can tell nowadays what it's like to spend more time or to focus more time on their family when you you know oh, this is well i've been spending time with these kids it's time to spend on my own kids so i guess we're gonna find out who we got a bunch of new basketball coaches next year gonna be really interesting to see if there's some new styles some new play i mean mm-hmm. uh, well the one new one we know about is
1: rennie Lafonier, over at tc christian i mean they hired him to to replace Eric Wifter as the boys' coach. And a lot of people that have followed high school basketball around here are, are pretty familiar with him. He's coached before here in the area at uh, Miesick and Buckley. Um, used to be an athletic director at both of those schools, too, and at Manton. And his dad is a coaching legend at Manton. His dad coached Ryan Hiller. Who is now the principal <laughs> at Manton. Yeah, like his, his dad's up on the banners in, in the Manton's gym.
0: So... Maybe we'll see if we can do something to T.C. Christian. That's exciting for the Sabres. But that was the Chatter That Matters, sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's spends six hours slicing and baking every day to make you a 30-second sandwich. Freaky fresh, freaky fast. Jimmy John's freak, yeah. Let's go ahead and put ourselves into the Hall of Fame. We're going to induct somebody else, somebody new, into the Get Around Hall of Fame, the most exclusive club in northern Michigan. James, I'm going to let you go first. I had a couple of people. I'm going to put up two. You put up one and we'll see where we go. What are you feeling?
1: I'm going to throw in there in the ring uh, Seth Stoltz from Benzie Central. He ran in the the Midka State Finals that Benzie was in on Saturday and he won two state championships. Midka Midka State Championships. And we were talking about the Midka Finals earlier, it's the it's an invitation only by the the whole team gets invited uh, the top 10 teams in each division. By the power rankings that Midka puts together, um, and he won both the 100 and the 200 meter uh, championships. Uh, the 111.8, 11.08 seconds, and the 223.11 seconds.
0: That's good. That's good. I saw him run against a lot of the, good, the best runners in the area on Tuesday at the uh, honor roll meet. Once again, we're talking about Division three kids going against Division one kids. Very, very admirable effort from Seth in the past week. I got a couple of those. One of those kids. At the meet was Traverse City West's Sarah Skirmerhorn. She was part of two meet records at the Record Eagle John Lober Honor Roll Meet. She tied that record in the 200 and was part of the 800 relay that broke the oldest record at the meet. Set back in 1977. Definitely a very, very exciting day for Sarah. And talk about some speed on a day that was beautiful. And the other one is going to be the T.C. Triton's. Rowing team, well, not the team, but their women's varsity four boat of Isabel Ballman, Abby Rockwood, Megan Lautner, Emma Ellis, and the coxswain Samantha Toma. They won the state championship, not last weekend, but the weekend before. Just we found out about this after our podcast last week, so it's still valid in our podcast world. But uh, not this past week, but the week before, won that women's varsity four by a pretty good margin. Yeah, down in Grand Rapids a couple of weeks ago, that was the best finish. Best finishing boat in t- in program history, and the team itself finished as second place, as runner up. Their best finish ever as a team, uh, with seven of eight boats making it to the finals, and all seven of those boats finishing inside of the top five.
1: Yeah, pretty impressive season. I mean, and you know, rowing's been around for a little bit. I think longer than people think it has been here. You know, as a, as a club sport and, and kind of a varsity sport now. For them to win the to break through and win the first. State championship and
0: then finish second as a team is a pretty big deal. So we got to vote. I mean, state champions usually get an automatic bid. Mm -hmm. And while these other guys, I mean, Seth Stoltz, technically some state championships in uh, Mitka. And Tritons, I mean, that's a state championship as well. I mean, Sarah, on the other hand, once again, had a couple of good meet records. But do we have to put the, the boat and Seth in there? I think we should put at least the boat. I think it's I think maybe Seth too. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty much a precedent that we've set. So, it sounds like the TC Tritons women's varsity four boat of Isabel Bauman, Abby Rockwood, Megan Lautner, Emma Ellis, and Samantha Toma, along with Benzie Central, one hundred and two hundred. So, sprinter Seth Stoltz, you are the latest inductees into the Get Around Hall of Fame. Congratulations, you are welcome into the club. We got one more segment, and that is our trifecta. And we got had, we had to do something a little fun last week after our podcast, and we got to go over to Turtle Creek Stadium and try Pitt Spitter's new menu. And James and I did a Facebook Live. I don't know if anybody saw that. You can go back to our Facebook and watch that if you'd like. But we tried the whole menu of all the new items, and I figured we'd kind of tie that into the podcast and tie that into what we're doing this week. Just to start this segment, I'll tell you. It's Sp- Spitter's sponsored because we are giving away Pitt Spitter's tickets, a family four-pack is going to be given away for those who retweet and share this episode. Be able to use those all the way through the end of June. So make a night over the next couple of weeks and uh, get on out to the pit spitters. But we're going to tell you when you win those tickets, what you should eat there. James, we tried, I think it was eight different menu items that they put up this past uh, week. What was your favorite and which one do you recommend for our listeners to try out when they go see the pit spitters this season? I think the first
1: thing would be the turkey leg. But that, I mean, that that seems – it's probably not going to be cheap.
0: Probably 15 bucks. Yeah. But, man. Well, that's, that's a turkey leg. Man.
1: And who doesn't want to just walk around with a turkey leg in their hand?
0: I feel like a barbarian. That's a Renaissance festival feel.
1: And it's going to be a limited edition item. They're only going to do, like, so many per game. Yeah. So you got to, like, get there
0: early and be one of the – and order it early. So it would be perfect if it's one of those first 500 fans in the park days where you get, like, a free souvenir and then you go get a turkey leg and wear your bomber hat. There you go. Or whatever it might be. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, we split one of those turkey legs. It's enough to split with somebody too. Mind you, so fifteen bucks you and your you and your uh your date that you take out to the ballpark after we give you the the tickets can uh get a turkey leg. Now, one of the more interesting menu items that I that we had and I just really enjoyed. Well me and James did try the Carolina Reaper burger. I don't recommend you do that. I don't recommend that either. Uh it's just it, it, if you haven't had Carolina Reaper sauce before, like It stays with you. Yeah. You're not going to die when you're eating it. Like, it's super hot, but it stays with you. Like, I felt like there was just, like, a little hot pepper sitting on top of, like, right underneath my heart, but just on top of my lungs in, like, that little, like, pocket. It was for a while. So just don't do that. Instead, you should try their new chicken and waffles dish. They put basically some pretty hearty chicken nuggets. They weren't no, they weren't no skimpy chicken nuggets. Yeah, they don't look like McDonald's chicken nuggets. No, either. nothing like that. They're kind of more round. Yeah, they're almost like Buffalo like wildness. Wild, like wild, almost like boneless wings, mm-hmm. uh, but definitely meatier. But they put them in a waffle cone, like you're getting an ice cream, and they give you a syrup packet, and then you pour it on over the chicken, and you eat the chicken out of the waffle cone, and you eat the waffle cone with the syrup. Yum! Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever had chicken and waffles, but yum! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was definitely good. Something I've never seen. Served in that form, not with actually waffles, but like a waffle cone. I thought it was actually really cool, so that's something uh, you definitely want to try. They had a whole bunch of new menu items. Make sure you go on out to Turtle Creek Stadium to check those out and check out the Pit Spitters this season. They have already started this year and have a lot of really cool promotions this year and are back to full capacity, so maybe we will see you out there. Like I said, make sure you like, retweet, share, comment to have a chance to win four Pit Spitters tickets to any game this month in June. We're going to give those away on next week's podcast. So make sure you interact with us. Make sure you follow us at TCRE Sports on Instagram and on Twitter. Follow James, or at JamesCook14. Follow me at Jake Atnip. And follow us into next week for episode 179, where we will bring you back on all the reports from track state finals, the rest of the week of districts, and golf regionals headed into next week's state finals. We'll see you then.